Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. Man, it's so good to be with you. First Sunday in December. Can you believe it? Some of your stressful looks out there, you start looking at the calendar and you're like, man, I need to get on Amazon. Um, no, it is, it is so good. It's crazy how last week we were freezing the last week of uh, last week of November, and then we step outside and it's a little humid first week of December. Um, so if you are with us, wherever here is, Gainesville, Oakwood, online, welcome. Love being able to gather with you. Love being able to worship with you. Love being able to look at God's Word together with you. Um, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Ben. I would love to get to meet you. Love to get to know you. Um, this week, we are starting a brand new series called Christmas at Riverbend, and this is what we believe. We believe that God has something uh, special for each and every one of us during this season, and we believe that there's, a, there's an overarching importance for us to experience God together. So He has something special for us throughout, uh, individually, throughout this season, and then also being able to share that corporately together. But when we start thinking about Christmas, what's typically the, one of the first things that pops into our minds? It's usually like gifts or presents, right? Especially when you're a kid. I asked our staff um, a, a question. I wanted to just kind of ask you, just kind of get you to think about it. As a kid, or maybe it was a teenager, what was uh, the one item that you could not wait to receive at Christmas or that you were the most excited to receive at Christmas? I asked our staff that question. I want to read you some of the, some of the comments that, uh, that we got back from our staff. Julie, I knew this was going to be it. I, I just forgot the detail that was going to go into it. Julie, her answer was a 1984 black uh, pair of Reebok high tops with hot pink laces and hot pink trim. Um, by the way, um, I believe it was Sadie that we were talking to a while back, and she asked something about, you mean in the 1900s? Or like, all right, no Christmas presents for you. So that was not a, for all you sneakerheads out there, that was not a retro pair. That was in 1984. Um, original. OGs. Oh, uh, Michael, paintball guns. Preston, a bicycle with a ramp, which means that uh, Jeff and Angie, for Christmas, they got copays. Um, <laughs> Kathy, uh, I smile just thinking about uh, Kathy being younger. A blue bicycle with a basket, a bell, and pom-poms on the handlebars. Brian, a Game Boy Advance. Good for you, Brian. That wasn't in the 1900s. Um, Chris, uh, a Schwinn three-speed uh, shift in the middle chopper bike. And then this was one of my favorites for our staff, Grace. Uh, Grace, want, she, this is what she wrote. I wanted a puppy, but I got an animal dictionary instead, but I was still happy. And here's the thing, Grace. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. You weren't a puppy. Um, anyway, listen, when I was a kid, I absolutely loved two things. Anything He-Man related, and if you don't know who, who He-Man was, don't worry about it. Uh, number two, anything G.I. Joe related. I loved anything He-Man, anything G.I. Joe related. So when I was a kid, one of my favorite Christmas presents that I, that I got is um, going, uh, going into our living room, and in the floor, there was the G.I. Joe Terra Drome with Firebat. I know y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, and you're jealous of me right now. Um, but on the off chance that you don't know what I'm talking about, I want to flash up a couple pictures. Look at how happy those kids are. That was me 
We were beating bad guys all day. That is the Cobra Terradrome. There it is in real life. And that's the fire bat, in case you didn't know, flying out the top. Let me give you uh, the description that it says on the box. This is going to make you really jealous of my childhood. When all doors are sealed, the Terradrome looks imposing and impregnable. And it was. The Terradrome base is made up of eight compartments, three vehicle service slash refueling stations, a prisoner containment chamber because you need a place to keep the bad guys, a munition storage depot, a launch silo activation chamber, and two blast door mounted laser cannons. That's what I'm talking about. That Terradrome gave my parents so many naps, it's not even funny. Like, it was awesome. I can't begin to tell you how much I loved that. I played with it forever. Now, you kind of get a gist of my love for back in the day, G.I. Joe, right? Which kind of sets the stage for a true story I'm about to tell you. First grade, my first grade teacher is a woman named Miss Keaton. And I'll always remember three things about Miss Keaton. Number one, one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met in my entire life. She first taught me how to read very, very, very patiently taught me how to read. Number two, Miss Keaton, sweet lady who patiently taught me how to read, always smelled like honey lemon cough drops. And number three, I will never forget the gift swap that we had in Miss Keaton's first grade class. So here were, the, here were the guidelines. Here were the rules for the gift swap. If you were a boy, you need to go to the store. You get a $10 gift for a boy. If you're a girl, go to the store. You get a $10 gift for a girl. You wrap it up. You label boy. You label girl. You come into the room on the day of the gift swap. All the chairs are put in a circle. You put your gift up underneath a chair, and then at the word go, you go find a chair. If you're a boy, you go to the boy gift. Girl, you go to the girl gift. And then at the moment, it's okay to unwrap. You reach under your chair. You get the gift. Any guesses what my $10 gift was? It rhymes with G.I. Joe. All right, so I was pumped. First grade me, I had a Bugs, all this is a true story, I had a Bugs Bunny briefcase going in. First grade, I don't know why I needed a book bag or a briefcase. I was in first grade for crying out loud. But I have this, this G.I. Joe action figurine. It's all wrapped up. My mom did it so it looked decent in case, instead of me wrapping it up. I watch where that G.I. Joe figurine goes up underneath the chair. And I made a beeline to that chair because I wanted that G.I. Joe figurine. I didn't get one that I already had. I got one that I wanted. But another kid beat me to it. And Miss Keaton, she pointed me to the chair across the circle, and I was like, okay, that's all right. Um, that's, I know that kid, he is going to have the time of his life, and he's probably going to give his life to Jesus because it's a Christmas miracle. He got a G.I. Joe figurine. Man, if that's what he got, imagine what I'm going to get. So I sit down. I'm all expectant. Miss Keaton goes, okay, reach up underneath your chair and get the package, get the present, get the gift, and you can shake it. So I shook it, and I was like, it may be a G.I. Joe figurine. It may be a Transformer. This is way before Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Pokemon. It may be exactly what I wanted. And she goes, okay, go. So I tear the wrapping paper, tear into it, and I look at it. And it is a piece of soap in the shape of Yoda. <laughs> and you know what I did? I cried. Because I got a piece of soap in the shape of Yoda. And some people, you're like, I'm sure it was a cool piece of soap. It wasn't. It wasn't. I even tried to make the best of it. I even put it in my bath. 
And that thing, wouldn't you know that thing just disintegrated? I was like, I hate it more now. But I'll never forget, as soon as I teared up, and as soon as I started to cry, sweet Miss Keaton, she called me out in the, in the hallway, and she started getting on to me about being unthankful and inconsiderate. And I remember, I, I think the words coming out of my mouth was like some like slobbering version of like, yes, ma'am. But I remember in my head thinking, but Miss Keaton, it was a piece of soap shaped as Yoda. <laughs> Why was that such a devastating thing for a first grader? It was because I got my hopes up. It was because I got hope. I had hope, and my hope was dashed by soap. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. My hope was dashed by, 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 by soap. I did not get at all what I thought that I was going to get at all. And isn't it funny how all of us, we, we, we have certain things that we chase after, we have certain things that we go after, thinking if we just got these things, if we just accomplished these things, then it would bring us happiness and it would make our lives easier. But did you know that it's not really about the things that we're chasing after? It's not really about the things, it's actually the things behind the things. And here's what I mean. I want to introduce you to our big idea for this entire series and throughout this entire Christmas season. And this is what I want our takeaway to be throughout the month of December. Here it is. Is at our core, if you're taking notes with us, at our core, there are needs that only Jesus can fill. At our core, there are needs that only Jesus can fill. And I'm talking about at our core, there are needs, there, 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 there's needs like hope. There's needs like peace. There's needs like joy. There, there, there's needs like love. That we spend so much of our time, our resources, and our energy and our effort chasing after the things that we think we're going to bring us, things like peace and hope and joy and love, only to find out it's not about the things we're chasing, it's actually the things behind the things. And at our core, there are needs that only Jesus, there are needs that only Jesus can fill. This is why... This is why Jesus came into the world. We, we celebrate this time of the season. We celebrate because God loved us so much that he sent this, his son into the world to be born as a baby. Why? Because he is the only one that can feel, fill our core needs. The things behind the things. There are needs that only Jesus can fill. Let me give you a, um, a, 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 a definition of hope. Because we're going to be talking about hope this morning. So throughout this Christmas season, we're going to be talking about hope. We're going to be talking about peace. We're going to be talking about joy. We're going to be talking about love. The things that only Jesus can bring. Let me give you a working definition of hope. Pretty easy definition to remember. Here it is. Hope is living with the peace of knowing things will get better. Hope is living with the peace of knowing that things will get better. Isn't it crazy that sometimes the older we get and the more life we go through and the more life hits us and we experience curveballs, we start to lose what? Hope. Because why? We start to doubt that things will get better. Here's what we're going to discover. Did you know the things that only Jesus can bring into our lives, hope, joy, peace, love, did you know each and every one of those things our world has a counterfeit to? For example, we're not, when we talk about hope, we're not talking about this band-aid, this temporary band-aid approach to life that is completely dependent upon how things may be going on around us. Ooh, let me show you something real quick. Each of these core things that, 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 is going to, uh, that, that only Jesus can bring, 
These core needs that only Jesus can fill, they all have a counterfeit. Here's what I mean by that. Um, Peace. Did you know that Jesus wants to bring peace in our lives, not just give us mere lack of conflict? You see, mere lack of conflict, we so easily settle for mere lack of uh, conflict, and we confuse that with peace. Peace is actually much, much deeper than a mere act of conflict. Or love, the, the, the counterfeit to love is, 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 is conditional acceptance. That a lot of times we chase after things that will only bring us conditional acceptance, but what we really crave, what we really need at our core, at our soul level is, is love. Or how about joy? Do you know the counterfeit to joy is many times we're tempted to settle in for mere happiness? Now, is there anything wrong with happiness? Is there anything wrong with acceptance? Is there anything wrong with a lack of conflict? Definitely not. There's nothing wrong with those things. But what Jesus offers us is much deeper. Hope, the counterfeit to hope. The, the shallow co- counterfeit to hope. You know what that is? It's optimism. Is there anything wrong with optimism? Definitely not. Does, raise your hand if you enjoy being around a pessimist. That's what I thought. Nobody. So there's nothing wrong with, with, with optimism, Oakwood. But what Jesus brings us and what Jesus offers us is not just mere optimism. It's a deep underlying peace of knowing that things will get better, not because things are in our control, but because all things fall under the control of him. Hope is one of those core needs that only Jesus can fill. And I want to show you something this morning. I want to show you five verses in the book of Isaiah. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Pretty familiar passage during the Christmas season. But Isaiah chapter 9 is going to give us a really, really good foundation for us to jump off of when it comes to talking about hope. And not just looking at hope then and there, but hope for us here and now. So Isaiah chapter 9, this is what the prophet said, starting in verse 2. It says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You you will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you, God, as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. And then verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make it happen. Now, from these five verses, I want to give you three encouraging truths about hope this morning. Three encouraging truths about hope this morning that can carry us forward, and not just through the Christmas season, but long after the Christmas season. Because I think that there are many of us this morning, whether you're with us in Gainesville, Oakwood, or online, we're really struggling with hope. We're really struggling with a lack of hope, or even understanding, like, is there hope for me even to have hope? So let me give you three encouraging truths about hope. If you're taking notes with us, I want you to look at the first one. Here it is. A seemingly hopeless context is always the context of hope. 
A seemingly hopeless context is always the context of hope. A seemingly hopeless context is always the context of hope. Let me kind of unpack that for a second. In the days in which Isaiah spoke these words in Isaiah 9, let me kind of give you the lay of the land. The nation of Israel had been divided, had been split into two nations, Judah in the south, Israel in the north, and the Assyrian Empire was on the rise. And the people of Israel, the people in Israel and Judah, they all thought that their best days were behind them. They all, they all thought that their best days were behind them. They all looked back with great yearning to yesteryear, the good old days, back when David was on the throne. It wasn't too bad when Solomon was on the throne. Kind of went off the rails when Rehoboam was on the throne. But man, David and Solomon, they had good runs, and we have a good track record. We have a good ancestry. And they looked back without hope. And they didn't think that anything could get better. Now, we go to Isaiah's words here. Do you realize that Isaiah's words weren't about sugarcoating their condition? Here's what I mean. He starts off saying, a people who walk in darkness. You don't put that on a Hallmark card. Dear people who walk in darkness. It wasn't about sugarcoating their current conditions. Or he said, for those who live in a land of deep darkness. It's not very optimistic, is it? He wasn't, his word to the people wasn't about sugarcoating their current condition, but it actually was about being honest about their current condition and pointing them to a hope to come. He didn't just leave them hanging going, hey, all you people who are living in darkness in deep, in a land of deep darkness, good luck to you. This is what he says, for the people who walk in darkness, what? will see a great light. Honest about condition, pointing them to hope. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, what? A light will shine. It wasn't about sugarcoating their condition. It wasn't about convincing them just to sit in it and accept their new normal. It was about being honest about their current context and pointing them to a greater hope. Do you know the same thing is true for, for, for you and I as well? There are so many things. There are so many things in this world that can demoralize us, and that can rob us of our hope, aren't there? Like, for example, you turn on the news, you turn on any news outlet, and we can feel such a sense of hopelessness by the atrocities that we see playing out before us in Israel. Or, 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 or maybe um, you, you feel a sense of hopelessness by looking at the shift and the direction and the trajectory of our, of our, of our culture. Or maybe you feel a sense of hopelessness by looking at a family dynamic. This may be out of whack. Maybe you feel a sense of hopelessness over the state of your marriage. Can I tell you this? The Word of God is not about sugarcoating your current context. And it's not asking you to settle for a new normal, just settle in for a new normal. It is about pointing us to the fact that, that we need to be honest about where we currently are, but also pointing us to a hope. Do you know when we start to feel hopeless, whether it's over world events, shifts in culture, maybe a family dynamic or a marriage, when we start to feel hopeless, what starts to go into the shift into the driver's seat? Our feelings, don't they? And, and, and I, I, love the, I love the statement, the quote by, by a wise pastor that, that I, was, I was watching one of his sermons uh, a few years ago. He goes, listen, feelings and emotions make great passengers. They make terrible drivers. 
So as followers of Jesus, what are we called to do? We're called to evaluate the way in which we feel up against the truth of Scripture. And here's what I will show you in the truth of Scripture time and time and time again. The context of a miracle was the overall need and necessity of a miracle. The context of a great revival in the Bible and historically was always the context, the need, the necessity for revival. And can I tell you this, if you're, if you're feeling discouraged this morning, wherever you may be and whatever you may be going through, the context for hope is always the need and the necessity of hope. Let me give you this. As long as God is, is, as long as God is in it, hope is still in the game. As long as God is still in it, hope is still in the game. Do not allow the context, a hopeless context, to fool you into thinking that things are hopeless. Because the context of hope is always the need and necessity of hope. So where do we find our hope? Well, number two, if you're taking notes with us, is true hope is only found in Jesus. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Oakwood, Gainesville, Olan, stick with me for a second because I know that this sounds ultra, ultra churchy. But just stick with me because I think if you feel that this sounds ultra churchy, you're in pretty good company. here's, Here's what I mean. These words of Isaiah, these words of Isaiah were spoken, were given to the people 700 years before Jesus was born. Now, here's what I'm going to ask that you do. Put yourself in the shoes of the people of Israel in that time and in that era to where you feel that your best days are behind you, you feel, that you feel another, another world power rising up, that's breathing down your neck, and at any moment they could come in and conquer. And you have a prophet of God, Isaiah, who is standing before you with a thunderous voice, of, thus saith the Lord, I have a word of hope for you. And this is what he says. God, you will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like the warrior dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. And then to top it all off, God, the boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. And you can just imagine this crowd that is gathering, this downtrodden, hopeless crowd that's, 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 that's gathered to hear Isaiah. They're hearing that, and after every definitive statement, they're going, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it gets to, and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. And you can imagine their hands and their fists both raised in the air going, yeah. And then Isaiah's next words were what? For a child is born to us, a son is given. And then the crowd probably falls silent and goes, what in the world? How in the world, Isaiah, does that have anything to do with what you just promised is going to happen? Listen, if you think true hope only being found in Jesus, if you think that that sounds churchy, listen, you're in good company because there's an entire nation that thought the same thing. And God used the words of Isaiah to guide the hearts of the people back to him because here's what the hearts of the people were looking for. Here's what the people in that day were looking for. They were looking for a, a military leader or maybe a political leader, or maybe a group or an entity to come in and to repair and to fix them politically and financially. 
They were looking for an all-out revolution. But you know what God knew that they needed more than a revolution of a nation? They needed a revolution of the heart. Isn't it so true? This goes back to the premise. It's always the things behind the things. What God knows that we so often forget is this. Hope is always a matter of the heart. Hope is always, always a matter of the heart. And what Jesus offers us is a change and a transformation and a revolution of the heart. And if you change and you transform and you bring about a revolution of the heart, you have a revival of a people. And when you have a revival of a people, you have a movement of the kingdom of God. So if this sounds churchy, let me kind of walk you through the practical elements of who Jesus is and who Jesus so desires to be in my life and your life. If you look back at verse 6 in Isaiah 9, it says, A child is born to us, a son is given, the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Why is that so significant? Here's why it's so significant. Because you and I both know we all desperately need a wonderful counselor, don't we? Because without a wonderful counselor, we know ourselves better than anybody, and we know that we're going to end up messing everything up, and we're just going to end up right back to where we started in need of a wonderful counselor. Or, or, or how about this? A mighty God. We know this. We know that we need a mighty God because we desperately need a mighty God because we all know that we need someone that is bigger and more powerful than, than us to handle everything that we can't handle. Or when it says an everlasting father, we desperately need an everlasting father because if we don't have an everlasting father, we are always going to be working for the approval and the attention for people or of people, not the approval and attention from love, from a father. We're going to be looking for the approval and the attention and the love from other people not moving from attention and love of the Father. We need that everlasting Father that is always going to be with us, that loves us unconditionally, that is not a contractual type of love, and a Prince of Peace. We know that we desperately need a Prince of Peace because without a Prince of Peace, we are going to be at the whim of every event, every emotion, every feeling that we may feel or go through or experience in life. We need a rock and can I tell you this, the only one, the only person, the only thing, the only institution, the only one that is all four of those things is Jesus Christ. That's why true hope is only found in Jesus. Do you know that he can be that for you this morning? He can be that for you today? But you have to make the decision if you want him to be that, if you want him to be your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father, your prince of peace. And that decision is based on a choice. Will you choose to surrender to him being all that he is while also acknowledging all that you're not? I need a, a, a wonderful counselor. Why? Because I don't have it within me to have wonderful counsel. I need a mighty God. Why? Because I don't have it within me. I need an everlasting Father. Why? Because I don't have it in me. I need a Prince of Peace. Why? Because I don't have it within me. Jesus, I need you to be those things 
for me. You see, true hope is only found in Jesus. And then number three is don't mistake God's silence for God's abandonment. Don't mistake God's silence for God's abandonment. Did you know, I mentioned it just a moment ago, but did you know that there are 700 years between Isaiah speaking these words given by God and actual, the, the actual birth of Jesus? 700 years. If you have a Bible with you, let me get, let me get you to do something. It's not going to work if you have a digital copy. If you have a digital copy, awesome. If you have a hard copy, in my Bible it's page number 817, um, flip over and find that page right after Malachi and right before Matthew. In my Bible it looks something like this. It just says New Testament. Some of you got fancy Bibles that say the New Testament. They say New Testament. If you find it, let me get you to do something. Somewhere with a, with a pen or a pencil or a highlighter or whatever, I want you to write this on that, on that page. 400 years. 400 years. This page that just has New Testament, or for those of you that are fancy, the New Testament, written on it, it represents 400 years of silence from God. There's 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, and what shattered the silence? It was the cry of a baby. It would have been so easy for the people to believe that just because God was silent, that he had abandoned them. Now let's ask a very practical question. What in the world was God doing for 400 years of silence? What was he doing for 700 years between Isaiah 9 and Jesus being born? I think that's a fair question to ask. Here's what God was doing. Behind the scenes, God was preparing the way for hope. Can I give you, I, I, I can give you like numerous examples, but let me just give you one of them. In those 700 years of God's silence, the 400 years of God's silence, but the 700 years between Isaiah 9 and the birth of Jesus, you do in fact have the Assyrian Empire come in, they conquer Israel, they take them away, they exile them. And then the Assyrians are conquered by the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they are conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persians are then conquered by the Greeks, led by Alexander the Great. And then the Greeks are conquered by the Romans. So by the time we get to Matthew chapter 1, when it says, a census went out from the emperor, from the Caesar, that's Caesar Augustus of the Roman Empire. Did you realize that in those 400 years of silence and the 700 years between the promise of a child and the payoff of a child, do you realize that God was preparing the way for hope? So by the time Jesus was born, because of these conquests, because of the Babylonians conquering the Assyrians, the Medo-Persians conquering the Babylonians, and the Greeks conquering the Medo-Persians, and then the Romans conquering the Greeks, did you realize that by the time Jesus was born in the entire region of the world, it was united around language? Most people knew both Greek and Latin, and it was united around a common and a safe road of travel. 
known as the Roman road system. Now, how did that prepare the way for hope? Because language and roadways made way, paved the way quite literally for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just one of many examples. Never mistake God's silence for God's abandonment. It is so easy for us to think, God, I don't know if you're still there because I have fervently poured out my heart and I pray to you and I pray to you and I pray to you and you know more about what's going on in my life than I even know how to put words to. And you still haven't answered them. And we assume that just because God hasn't answered our prayers that he has abandoned us. And can I tell you, that's not the case at all. He may very well be working behind the scenes, preparing the way for hope. So if you find yourself this morning in a time of silence from God, to where you feel, God, my heart is to chase after you, it is to run after you, it is to be dependent upon you, but I don't feel that you are changing anything. I feel stuck. I feel like you have been silent in my life. God, I don't want to think that you've abandoned me because that's not who you are, but that's kind of how I feel right now. What do you do in times of silence? There's many things that we can do, but at least three things that we need to do. Number one is focus on the perfect track record of God. In times of silence, go back to the perfect track record of God. Never at any point in time in any of these 66 books of Scripture, do we ever see God messing up? Do we ever see God dropping the ball? Do we ever see God just up and leaving and leaving his people hanging? God has never failed and he's not going to start now. God has not brought you this far, wherever you may be. Oakwood, God has not brought you to where you are right now, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, financially, relationally, vocationally, all the above, God has not brought you this far just to leave you where you are. Listen, focus back in on the track record of God. And just as God was faithful then, he is faithful now. Do you want to know why we spend so much time anchoring ourselves to Scripture? It is to remind us that there are certain ways that we may feel that may not always be correct. And we need to gauge the way that we feel up against the truth of Scripture. So when I feel that there's a time of silence and God isn't speaking to me, then I need to go back and I need to first focus in on the track record of God. And it is flawless and it is perfect. And the more I read about His perfect track record in Scripture, the more I reflect on His perfect track record in my life. And if we would just take a moment of pause and reflection, we can do the same thing. God's brought us through some really hard times, hasn't He? Not just as Riverbend Church, but God's brought you through some really hard times. God's brought your marriage through some really hard times. God's brought your families, your kids. God's brought you through some really hard times. And just as he was faithful now, he's faithful now. He, just as he was faithful then, he's faithful now. So focus in, in a time of silence from God, focus in on the perfect track record of God. Number two is we are to look at or pray for the perfect timing of God. Pray for the perfect timing of God. Did you know that God's will always involves God's timing? Man, I do not like that one at all. Did you know that God's will always involves God's timing? I am prepared to tell you this, but here we are. 2015 
summer of 2015, I was introduced to a man by the name of Jojo Thomas, who's the director of missions. He's, he's a great personal friend of mine, even better friend of Riverbend Church. I was introduced to Jojo, had lunch with him. Um, God had just closed the door. We had already transitioned from our church in Jacksonville. We had already accepted a position to, to move overseas. And two weeks before takeoff, God shut that door. So after getting back from basically packing up the little that we could bring back and giving away most of what was already down there, we came back and we just thought, okay, God, what now? Meet with Jojo Thomas and, and he tells me, he goes, listen, there's a church in the area that is in between a pastor time, a pastor. It's a great church. God's done great things in this church. And I will, uh, I'll give him your resume if you want me to give him your resume. I was like, sure, that sounds great. The name of the church, Riverbend. The summer of 2015 is the first time I heard the name Riverbend Church. I didn't get a phone call. I didn't get a text. I didn't get an email. I didn't get a letter saying, hey, it's not you, it's us. I got nothing. I was like, well... All right. Can I tell you this? If I had come on board at Riverbend Church in the summer of 2015, it would have been a train wreck. It would have been a train wreck for y'all. It would have been a train wreck for me. It would have been a train wreck for us. God's will always involves God's timing. I have no doubt that God has called me to do what I am called to do when I'm called to do it here and now. I also have no doubt that God hadn't, didn't call me to do what I'm doing now in the summer of 2015. God's will always involves God's timing. There, there's a verse at the top of your note sheet in Galatians 4, and I just want to read the first several words of that. It says, But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law, and you can continue reading out through that verse and it talks about how God through Jesus has adopted us as sons and daughters, that he has freed us. But do you see this? When the right time came, if you find yourself in a time of silence right now, pray for the perfect timing of God. Go, God, in my way, in my planning, you would have done it yesterday. But I know that you're preparing the way for hope behind the scenes. And it's okay if you say, hey, God, could you hurry up? That's okay. He may say yes and he may say no, but you're praying for the perfect timing of God. And then number three, if you, if you find yourself in a time of silence, continue to be obedient to what you know God last called you to do. Continue to be obedient to what God last called you to do. Did you know in times of silence, God doesn't change his mind? There was a, there, there was a, a guy that had more impact in my life than he'll ever know. He had this famous statement that he, that he would always say whenever I heard him preach. He said, never question in the dark what God's revealed in the light. In other words, when you go through a time of silence from God, he hasn't abandoned you. But don't question what he's revealed to you in the light when you go through a time of silence, what he's revealed to you. Don't question in the dark what he's revealed to you in the light. 
Here's why. If we know that God is active behind the scenes, preparing the way for hope, the way and the path that he is preparing is on the path and on the course that he's already set you on. In the timing along that path that he has already set. But so many times we become impatient. We grow impatient impatient, and we veer off. We take a detour. We take an off ramp. We veer off course, maybe right at the moment, right before the breakthrough, right before hope is revealed. 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. The silence was pierced by a baby's cry. When you find yourself sensing silence from God, do not confuse that with God's abandonment. Can I tell you this, Riverbend, Gainesville, Oakwood online, by the very fact that you are with us this morning, wherever you're here may be, is evidence of hope. It's evidence of hope. And we've looked at three encouraging truths about hope, but let me just get down to brass tacks and be very honest with you. None of those truths will make a, a, a hill of beans difference in our lives unless we personally apply them. So here's what I want to do. We're going to walk through three key questions this morning. But before that, I want to turn it over to Pastor Jim down at Oakwood. And he's going to lead y'all live in the room and just continuing to pray for y'all that the Holy Spirit continues to freely move and do an amazing work in and through y'all down on the south end of the county. I'm going to stay here in Gainesville, Gainesville online. Let me walk you through three questions for reflection. Listen, everything that we've just talked about is true, but just because it's true doesn't mean that it applies to you unless you apply it to you. Here's the first question. At my core, do I have hope? At my core, do I have hope? Number two, what or who is the source of my hope? If I say yes to this, what or who is the source of my hope? Is the, is the source of your hope, is it sustainable? Have you confused hope with just optimism? Have you confused hope with, hey, I'm experiencing some good times, blessings of God right now, I have hope. Well, what about in the valleys? What about in times of silence? What about in times of darkness? You still have hope there. But the source of hope in those places has to be sustainable. The only sustainable source of hope is Jesus. And then number three, what area or areas of my life do I need God's hope in the most? It's so easy for us to come into a place like this, to come into a service like this, and for us to try to like leave all of our baggage and all of our issues at the door or in the parking lot. And just come in and, hey, we just want to be refreshed. And to a degree, I guess that there's nothing wrong with us just coming in and wanting to be refreshed. But did you know that the grace and the power and the mercy of God wants to absolutely collide with what's going on in our lives? His desire for you is not just to pick up and to leave the same as you were, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit more pep in your step or a little bit happier. His desire for you is to transform you. But it's so easy for us to forget that there's nothing too big and there's nothing too small that we can turn over to Jesus and go, Jesus, I need your hope in this situation. So here's what we're about to do. We're about to pray. I want to pray over us, pray with us, pray for us. We're going to stand, we'll sing, our band's going to come back out, and they're going to lead us. 
But we're going to open up this front. If you want to come down and pray, if you want to come down and pray with me, we'd love that. There's just something powerful about tangibly getting out of our seats and going, Jesus, I need to reinstate you in my life as a source of my hope. Jesus, I need to bring this issue in my life at your feet. And I need to ask that your hope would flood it and invade it and saturate it. There's just something powerful about that. So we want to give you an opportunity to respond. We want to give you an opportunity for for, for change this morning and for transformation. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for your reminder of your love for us. And God, your love for us. God just comes back and it reminds us of an overarching hope that we have. God, if we've surrendered our lives to you, if we are your sons, if we are your daughters, God, we among all people should have the greatest hope because that hope, the power and the presence of that hope actually lives within us. But God, sometimes we forget about the presence and the power of the hope within us because we get so fixated on all the problems and all the issues and all the worries going on around us. So God, I pray that you would remind us of who you are, that there's nothing too big for you, there's nothing too small for you. God, you are a God of hope. And if we're experiencing you in a time of silence, God, bring us back closer and deeper in fellowship with you and encourage us by knowing that you are working all things to the good. You are preparing the way for hope. And your will always involves your timing. So God, we turn this time over to you. You do everything that you want to do in and through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.